This is The Dash. Without a home, I'm Trey Gammage, and I'm glad you decided to listen today. Someone who's become a very good friend of mine, Joel Dawson, is joining me, and his story is one that's off the charts. Just six years ago, Joel was homeless. He fell upon some bad times and was contemplating suicide, had nothing left, only living off of his basic survival needs. But it was at the point when he got low enough that he decided it was time to change, and he walks us through that mindset of what it's like to be there and how to get out. And the way that he got out was by starting an insurance company out of a crack hotel in Louisiana. He was able to take his company from that one hotel to 11 different parishes or counties in the Louisiana area and was so content on never going back and designing the life that he was gonna live that he decided to only surround himself with positive people. Joel is also one of the top 20 speakers in the world and today he uses his business as a way to help companies pitch their business to other investors, to other people interested in their companies. So there's a lot of takeaways from this and it's a conversation I've never had before and honestly, it's one of the most impactful conversations that I've had with a person ever in my life. So I hope that you enjoy this conversation and can take the time to really dissect the information. You can find the top takeaways, quotes, and side notes at treygamish.com slash podcast. Hope you enjoy the show. This is The Dash. You know, when I've been through a lot of things in my life to realize that the most important things in life it's not the the materialistic things. It's mm. not. It's mm. the people that you surround yourself with. It's the okay. relationships that you form. Okay. The sad the sad part about living in 2017 is social media has made it so easy to get in confrontations, mm-hmm. and people just part ways. People that have been friends for years. That's very true. Wow. Very true. But it's it's not about that. You don't always have to be right. Mm-hmm. You're not going to always be wrong. Mm-hmm. It's about the relationship. That's real. What, so what kind of what kind of relationships do you keep in the people around you? Positive relationships. Positive relationships. Positive relationships. We know that we have people that have toxic views. Oh. In our in our own lives, and yeah. we control that. We allow these people into our life, maybe because we've known them for so long, mm-hmm. or maybe because they're our own family. But we do know that we have toxic people in our lives, and that affects you. Now, I don't know if, 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 if you know my whole story or not, but, you know, six years ago, you know, I was homeless. Wow. I, I, I lived on the street contemplating suicide. That's, what, that. that's what my book is about, The Puddle of the Coat okay. Never Die. Mm. One thing that I found out, by living on the streets. Now, mind you, when you're on the streets, there's no social media. People don't have <laughs> cell phones. Okay? And it, it was a total paradigm shift for me for two reasons. The people that I just knew my friends weren't. They were not. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. I, I can tell you about times where people that I used to hang out with were not let me sleep on that porch in the rain. Wow. Wow. The people so, that you think would not help you or that I thought would just no way would help me did. Mm-hmm. The, wow. Can we get into that story some more? Puddle is one of the pieces that I didn't 
have a chance well, that I did not go into enough detail on. Can you can you talk about Puddle? How did you get to being in a place without a home? Well, I tell you one thing, it wasn't a career choice. <laughs> it wasn't a career choice, I tell you that. It's it's a long story, but wow. you know, it was a, it was a it wasn't one thing that happened. It was a it was a string of events. But just like I say in the book, it was bad choices, mm. bad karma, and good old fashioned bad luck all wrapped up together. So we're gonna have to go out and get puddle. Yeah, <laughs> that's a, that's a must read book. We might turn that one in, into a movie. You know, this summer before the world championship. I had a ch- and matter of fact, in November. So the summer before the World Championship, I had a chance to live in Charleston for six weeks. I was about a block away from King Street. That's where I'm at right now. Exactly. I was I was at the College of Charleston, so I was I was right there. It's it's a very convenient convenient place to be for six weeks and to work on speech crafting and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But there was a man named Byron there, and the first day that I was in Charleston, I slept on this college bed, this college twin bed, and I woke up with a crick in my neck. So I walked outside to go to Walgreens and get some cereal in the morning. And, and Byron comes up to me and says, say, man, is it going to be a good day or a long day? And, and that, that one question right there from a man, I could tell he was homeless. He had, a, he had a large shirt on. He did have a bike, so I think he had some friends he was staying with. But you could tell he, was, he didn't have a job. He didn't have a home. But for him to ask me if I was going to have a good day or a long day, I had no choice but to, to tear up and... Going along with that, in November, I had a chance to work with the Civic Education Project, which is a service learning group out of Northwestern that takes, this time we took suburban youth, and we allowed them to hear from the Chicago Homeless Coalition. And so a lot of people are misconstrued on the conception of people without homes and that they're drug addicts or that they're, they're, they're beat or that they, they're just horrible people, and that's not the case. So, You know, I can... I can, I can and, you know, that's what I thought, and that's why I was so embarrassed when it first mm. happened. I met people that had doctor's degrees, master's degrees, you know, mm. just, you know, an, an unstrained of four. Yeah. Let, me, let me tell you about this one story. And if, if, now, me and this guy, okay, now I'm going to let you publish. Me and this guy sitting, so we're sitting down on the sidewalk. Right. Okay, I got a 40 ounce of beer. I don't drink anymore. Mm-hmm. He had a bottle of of, of Thunderbird, some kind of cheap wine, the wine or wine, that, you know, the <laughs> traditional which you're supposed to have when you're homeless. Right. <laughs> okay. And every once in a while, you know, those type of conversations come up. This is what happened. He was from up north, <clears throat> maybe Missouri, St. Louis, somewhere up, up, up north, but he was working in the oil and gas industry in Louisiana, which a lot of people from all over the country come to work because you stay a month out in the Gulf, you go back for two weeks or a month mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, so you can pretty much live anywhere you want. There's like no commute. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oil fields going down. This is in the 70s. It mm-hmm. always fluctuates up, down, and they had these these spans of, you know, years, like right now, where the industry is just dead. Okay. So, and we all working in the industry, we all know that, so what do we do? We try to work as much as we possibly can. <laughs> so he was getting ready to come back down to Louisiana to work. Uh-huh. Okay, because he had been out of work for a long time, and they called him to come. He used all of his money to catch a bus. Wow! From I think it was St. Louis from here to Louisiana. His wife told him, "Don't go, do not go. If you leave, mm. we're getting a divorce." Now he was married wow. with a young little girl. He wow. said, "I have no choice. I got to go make this money for us. Let's talk wow. about this when I get back." Okay, so he leaves. With all the money, 
Because she told her to go, go, go stay at mom's house or dad's house, go stay at a relative's house. Because I'm going to make right. money. It's going to be okay. He gets all the way down here to Louisiana, and they fire him. Mm. He takes the last little change that he's got to call his wife, and she had been killed in a car accident. Oh, my goodness. This whole... Oh, my goodness. Wow. And he was able to overcome that. Wow. Wow. That gave me goosebumps. That's a a plot twist for you. So where is... My goodness. Where is the mindset? When when you're without a home, when you're sleeping on the street, when you're out in the cold, in the rain, where is your head at mentally to, to... you have as your quote, adversity is life's best teacher. How could you possibly, and I, I know that you probably have learned, I know that you have worked, life, success in life is like a pendulum. The more um, horrid and wretched things that you face, the more success and abundance that you can experience. Yeah. So wh- where was your head at, at that time, all the way at the bottom, when you were, when there was nowhere left to go? Man. But uh You know, Trey, <clears throat> you know, some people talk about losing hope, but if you've never been in that situation, you have no idea what that means. Mm. You know, to wake up with a crick in your neck and that be your only problem <laughs> or to get fired from a job and that's your wow. only problem or to not have money and that's your only problem. You don't know what down and out is like. Mm. Down and out is like. What, what happens is you, you basically go back to an animalistic mode. Wow. Surviving. Yeah. And it, it is not something that you make a conscious decision to do. That's subconscious. I'm a big believer in Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Wow. Okay, your physiological needs, you know, social needs, love and belonging, self-esteem, and all those type of things. When you strip all of those things away, all of those layers away, when you take away the family, you take away the security, you take away the Mm self-esteem, you take away the food and the water and the shelter, at that point, you're just like an animal. Your body and your instincts are going to be that, and it's going to resemble that of an animal. You're not going to care if people like you or not. The only thing you're going to be concerned about is getting something to eat and some shelter. That's Mm. it. That's as far as your mind will go. Your mind will not allow you to think. And you know, say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sad. I'm having a bad day. No, you're thinking about where's that next meal at? How can I get that next meal? When I say get that next meal, I don't necessarily mean pay for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, how, wow. How many items? Sometimes I'll see people. I do know some people that don't have a home, but they have a place to stay. They have a cousin. Um, or they have any of that. What did you have? Did you have anything? Did you have a storage unit? Did you have a backpack? I had a backpack. Wow. I had a backpack. I had a hoodie. And when it first happened, at first I was I was living in this old abandoned trailer. Got kicked out of that. So, and this is where the book starts. Uh, I said, well, you know, I got to find somewhere to sleep. Now, here's the thing. I'm not even thinking, oh, wow, my God, I'm homeless. I don't have any money. The first thing, I'm, animal wow. instinct. I got to find somewhere to stay because it was during the wintertime. Mm-hmm. So there was an old school, the school that I went to in elementary school, okay? It was a big school, so I'm thinking, well, which way is the wind blowing? I'm gonna have to go on the leeward side, okay? So I took just a bunch of leaves because I had to break the, that I do know from the military, you have to break the contact if you, if you wanna have any chance of warming up. 
Because, mm-hmm. you know, the ground is like, it'll just suck all of the body heat out of you. So I would just pile leaves up. Mm-hmm. And I and I let it, wow. it, well, I kind of just sat up like this with my back against a wall between that and, a, and some stairs. It was like a, a, a brick set of stairs. Okay. So I had my bag and I, and I had a butcher's knife about this big. Wow. And I would tell big people try to rob home it's just for kicks. Remember, they take everybody's mm-hmm. down and out. Mm-hmm. Of course, you don't want to mess with somebody that's in that animalistic mode. Okay, so I would take my knife and I would stick it in my sleeve like this, and I would sleep like this. Oh. And I spread leaves all around. The kids come from the military, so if anybody was walking up on me, I can hear them. Mm-hmm. So that's wow. that's where my mindset was. That's that's literal survival. You're you know that's that's like setting up a booby trap and making sure that you're you're well. You're probably sleeping like. What did you learn about yourself at that time? Hmm. Well, for at, at that well, I, I had a. I don't I don't want to call it a a, a revelation, but one I, I'll tell you the story. At this particular time, I wasn't sleeping on the streets. I was in a homeless shelter. Okay. Okay, and this but this was a homeless shelter for veterans. Now, a homeless shelter for veterans is a little different from your normal home, sh- normal homeless shelter. There's a lot of screaming at night. Pretty sure you know why. PTSD. So I got tired of hearing their screams, and I'm mm-hmm. sure they got tired of hearing mine. So what I would do is I would sleep during the day, just kind of walk around at night. One particular night, it was like maybe 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm on my way back to the shelter, and it started to rain. And there was this abandoned building that had this awning on it. So I just kind of stood under the, you know, under the awning until it finished raining. And it was at that moment that I just happened to look, it was an old department store. And I looked back and I saw myself clearly for the first time. I had wow. been in a bath in probably about two weeks. Hair was all over the, I can't say all over because I don't grow much hair. <laughs> but it was just real scraggly looking, just, just a mess. And I asked myself, I said, how did I get here? Mm-hmm. I mean, what did I do so wrong to deserve this? I wasn't a bad kid. Served my country. Never been in trouble. Why me? What did I do? Right. Right. So, now it stopped raining. But I just kind of say that and I sat on the sidewalk. Just thinking. And for the first time, I started praying. I looked up to the heaven and I said, God, I can't continue to live my life like this. And I need your help. I need you to send me a sign that you're going to help me. Well, as I said that, there was a truck coming. Mm. And that truck hit a puddle of water. Water, mud, gravel. (laughs) I said, that's it. That's it. It's over. Wow. That was the moment when you decided to get out? No. That was the moment that I said, I'm going to end it myself. It was a bridge about two oh, blocks no. away. So I walked to that bridge. <clears throat> and by the way, if, if you're homeless, you don't have the best strength in the world. They had like this mm. cage over it. And I knew I couldn't get over that cage. Yeah. But there was a stairwell. Walked up to that stairwell and I looked down right on the concrete, about 70 feet in the air straight down. Yeah, that'll do it. And I heard a voice just as clear as you and I talking say, so what's it going to be, Joel? Do you want to live or do you want to die? Hmm. And, I was, and I wasn't afraid. 
I just kind of stood as if I was in McDonald's looking at the menu. Just kind of. <laughs> I said, you know what? I said I want to live, but I am not going back to that old life ever again. Mm. Never. So I, got, I started walking back down, and that was the change. I made three decisions before I got off of that bridge. I said, number one, that I would never, ever, and I don't know what I'm going to do, but right. I would never, ever, ever let anybody or any of life's circumstances take the control of my life ever again. Hmm. The second decision I made is to realize, well, first, the second one, I, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to own my own business because that's what started everything in the, in the beginning. <laughs> I said, I'm, never, I'm, not, I'm not giving my heart and soul to another company just for them to fire me and go home to their families. Wow. I'm not doing that ever again. Wow. The third thing I realized was this, and, and as I told you before, regardless of what you see on television, Trey, regardless of what you see on social media, there's mm -hmm. a lot of good people in this world. Mm -hmm. it, took, it took me being homeless to realize that. Wow. So this is what I said from now on, regardless of who I meet, anytime I meet somebody new for the first time, at the end of the day, I want them to be glad that they met me. Mm. Wow. You are, you might make me tear up for a second, man. That's, um, that's, I can't even, you know, get my words out right now. I think I didn't realize all this about your story. I'm, I'm yep. gonna have to go ahead and buy a puddle uh, as soon as we get off the off the phone here tonight, off of Skype here tonight. Yeah, it's, it's, it's on Amazon right now. You can get it. Okay, that's what that's sure what you do as well. I'm gonna make sure everybody gets it. Yeah, I'm gonna make sure everybody gets it. So you, you've been through a lot. Was that the was that the most adversity that you had been through? Was that the deepest? Because you were in the Marines too. And you grew up in Mississippi. And, and I, I didn't grow Mississippi. up in Mississippi. My okay. family did. I grew up in Louisiana. But okay. I would probably say, well, it, it was different. Mm. A lot of it was different. I, I've had some lows. He had a military, being a, during Operation Desert Storm. But they were all life lessons. They were okay. all, you know, they, they could have went either way. Right. But that was a lesson to be learned in each, in each scenario. Mm -hmm. And so what you, that made me think of looking at your quote here, to be good takes commitment, to be great takes a sacrifice. That's, I can see that that's you. Um, that's you. You, you. you know, you were committed to having entrepreneurship. You were committed to having these things, and, that, and that's, that's good. You know, but you also got to a point where you were so low that you, you had nothing left to sacrifice but your life. Yeah, you know that that's how low that was. You had nothing else to sacrifice for your life, and in six years coming from that to to be Jay Dawson speaks and to do the to be a top twenty speaker in the world. Where did how did you keep yourself from going back there? I'm, how do you keep yourself from going back there? What do you do today to maintain that kind of positivity and respect for your life and what you've been through and what others are going through. Okay, this is what I decided to do. When I said I wasn't going back to that old life anymore, I met it. Mm. Okay, so I'm back at the homeless shelter and I'm sitting on my, my plastic bed. I call it a plastic bed because, you know, it's, it's a twin bed with the mattress on like the little kids sleep on it. Oh, man. That's what yeah. we had. And I sat there and I said, okay, from now on, I am going to intentionally craft a perfect life 
Mm, my goodness gracious. That goes down to the people that I had in it. So when you when you asked me that question earlier about you know what yeah. type of people that I surround myself with, all of those toxic people, the relationship is no more. Mm-hmm. You know, hey man, I don't see you anymore. Oh, we good though. We good. <laughs> I mean, I never see you again in my life. Right. But we good. Right. Okay. So I I intentionally did not allow those people back into my life. Okay. Okay. So when it came to that, that circle of influence, I didn't just take what the, the, the relationship that was kind of handed to me, so to speak. You know, just have mm-hmm. to stand, just meet somebody because I'm at this place. I didn't do that. I was very okay. selective about my inner circle. And you okay. had to be positive, my friend. No more toxic, no more <laughs> toxic attitude. That was one of them. Number two is, you know, I started the insurance company. I started selling insurance. I started, okay. this is what I did. I moved out of that homeless shelter into a crack hotel. That's where I started my business from, and I expanded it from that crack hotel to 11 parishes or counties in the state of Louisiana. You said crack. Yes, I did say crack, yes. Like the part of cocaine, right. crack. Yeah, a, a crack house, a crack hotel. Wow, and it took it to 11 parishes in, in wow, yeah. in Louisiana. Yeah, so you, you as, as far as, you know, how did I do it or, you know, the answer to that question, I was I was so afraid of going back there once I felt myself kind of out of the woods, mm-hmm. okay? Because after the crack house, I um, my daughter I was sleeping on her sofa. From right. there, I moved into an apartment, okay? And but I was working, working, working because I was just so afraid. Focus. Let me tell you how focused I was. Yeah. <clears throat> I um. I was I was still living down south. I live on the west part. Of Louisiana right now in South called Lafayette. Okay, before okay. I moved there, the week I moved, I'm still in my apartment. I had one of my best months selling insurance. Now, mind you, just maybe seven, eight months ago, I was homeless, mm. and before one of my best months, I made twenty-one thousand dollars. Wow. All in my ha- all I had in my apartment was an air mattress, a coffee pot, and a microwave. That's it. <laughs> because I was just so afraid, and I just kept working and kept working and kept working and kept working. And I started, remember, intentionally crafting the lifestyle that I want. The car that I drive, that's the car that I wanted as a child. Whoa. The house that I live in is the house I didn't have when I was Mm -hmm. a child. That's what Mm -hmm. I mean by intentionally crafting your own lifestyle the way that you want it versus just dealing with the things that come towards you. Right. So do do I have to... Do I have to be a Marine and to be homeless and to hit all these lows in order to create and craft my life? No. <laughs> I hope it never well, happens to you. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm being kind of facetious with that. So what? Because those are those are ideas I've heard that before on crafting your life. So I have I have a notebook. I have journals, two or three of them filled up now. I wasn't consistent. I'm getting more consistent daily writing in my journals, and I have an idea for a studio. I have an idea for what I want my office to like when I get my home. <laughs> and just continuing to expand those things. How do you narrow down what it is that you want? How do you stay so focused on that? How do you, what can I do if I haven't been through these things and I haven't lost everything? What do I do, or what do you do now to keep that same drive? Okay, that, I, got, I got to answer this two different ways. I'm going to tell you why it happened for me and why you don't. How that? In most, one of, one of the, the, the best books I've ever read over the last couple of years was a book by Vikas Jindra. He was, I think, 2006. Seven or 2008 
world champion. He wrote a book called Emotions. Okay. Okay, it's a book on emotions and how we as human beings, mm. you know, how how we react to certain emotions. Okay. Okay. Now, there's six core emotions. Happiness, sadness, fear, anger, disgust, and surprise. These are the core emotions. There's a lot of different variations. Women have a million different variations. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Sorry, ladies. <laughs> but what happens is anytime you're in a deep emotion, it causes two things to happen. Number one, it, enha it enhances your long-term memory. Number two, it causes you to act. I didn't necessarily okay. say act in a good way or a bad way. It will cause you to act. It will cause you to act. Okay, and I can't remember the name of this. It was it was a mafia movie. I, I okay. think it was, I want to say it was Hoodlums. No, it wasn't Hoodlums. It was some movie. But anyway, you know, the proverbial, you know, they all, somebody, they grabbed the guy because the guy owes him money, this kind of stuff, where they lay the guy on the table, and they have him tied to the table. They rip his shirt open. The guy has a, a tin bucket, and he's got a torch. Hmm. And he reaches into that bucket and he pulls out a rat about this big. <laughs> you, 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 you. The Fast and the Furious. Too Fast and Furious. That's what it was? One of those. Too Fast and Furious yeah. where he, put the, where he yeah. puts the rat on his chest. And for those people, I'm going to go ahead and say, Trey already know what I'm talking about, so I'm going to go ahead and tell the story anyway, but I'll make it really short. So the guy's bare chested and he takes a rat and he puts a rat on the guy's chest and he puts a tin bucket over and he lights the torch. Ooh. And the guy is like, well, what are you going to do? He said, don't worry about it. You're fine. So he starts heating up that bucket. He said, did you know that a rat can eat through a quarter-inch galvanized pipe? Okay, so the guy's not worried about it. He's screaming. He doesn't know what's going on. He says, as long as that rat's screaming, you don't have anything to worry about. Is when that rat gets silent, that's when he's uh -oh. going to act. Ooh. And he's going to, he's going to get out of that bucket, which means he's going to mm. eat through him. Wow. It was because I was in such a deep emotional state that caused me to act. Yeah. Okay. That's, uh, this is about the fifth time you done gave me goosebumps today. Go ahead. Continue. continue. Now, I'm in, I, I will say this. Had that not happened to me, mm -hmm. none of the success I have right now, I would have never enjoyed. Why? This, what I'm about to tell you now, is why so many people get caught up in a rut and they can't get out of it. Remember mm -hmm. we talked about Maslow's Law. We talk about physiological mm -hmm. needs. Okay, so you have your physiological needs, you have social needs, you have security, you know, um, security and self, uh, let's see. Self-actualization. Self self-actualization and self you have self-esteem. Self-actualization is the top one, but mm -hmm. you know what I'm talking about. Okay, yeah. the bottom four, if you notice, they all have the word need. In it. mm -hmm. It's a need. Okay. okay, so as I said before, when I was homeless, the only thing I was worried about is the physiological needs, water, food, and a place to sleep. Until you have those needs met to your satisfaction, then and only wow. then will your brain allow you to search out the other needs. So as long as I was hungry, I wasn't worried about a girlfriend. Right. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> I, wasn't worried, I wasn't worried about yeah. that. But it wasn't until yeah. I got those needs met. That I start looking okay. at the social needs, you can get you know, the, the love and belonging, you know, with family and mm. things of that nature. Security. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you look at those four, that is your center of influence. This is where you were born. This right. is where you get all of those needs met. Okay. Right. And I, I had to explain this to a client of mine in Arkansas because her dad was a millionaire and she has a, a business, wow. but 
she doesn't have the millions. I said, because you didn't grow up in that environment. She said, well, I did. You know, he used to come pick me up in the garage and things of that nature. I said, that's wow. not what I mean. What I mean is you had your needs met, but the money wasn't a part of it. Right. Okay. So it's, 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 you can't say that you want a $2 million business if you've never mm-hmm. lived that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Okay. What you're comfortable with subconsciously, sub, and like I said, that subconsciously, Right. Those needs are already met. You know, okay. the $2 million, okay. that doesn't play a part in it because that was never, it's right. not a need for you. That's a want. It's a mm. nice to have, but it's not a need. Yeah. Your needs are met in your circle of influence. Now, had that $2 yeah. million been a need, an unconscious need, then you would get it. I worked with this guy when okay. I was in Chicago, and that was a financial advisor for um, Ameripri- well, it was American Express at the time. And we had 34 advisors. And this one particular guy, there was like maybe, I think there's like maybe 40 offices in the Chicago area. Mm-hmm. He was the number one advisor in the whole Chicago area. Now that's really big. It's really big, okay? Because if each office you figure has between 20 and 30, you're talking about hundreds. He was the number one agent. Right. He worked like a dog. Nobody was even close to him. He would work. He would be in the office when we got in there. He would be in there when we left. He would be there on the weekends, even on Sunday. He had his wife come, and she would work. Mm. We were at a Christmas party, and I asked. I asked her, you know, because he was at the Christmas party talking about work. So. Right. I asked him, I was like, well, why does he work like that? She said, well, because he makes, you know, he makes about $200,000 a year. It's like what she said, but he was used to making two and a half million. So to him, he was broke. That was a lot of money to us in our circle of influence. But him in his circle of influence, he was dead broke. That's why he was hustling like that. So you see that two million, that was a need, that's a need for him. Okay. Okay. Does that make sense right wow. now? That makes up that that opens up different kind of so before before and I'll go to something that we both can relate to. Before the world championship of public speaking, it was hard to see myself as a world class speaker. It didn't make sense to say that. But since that's the company I keep now. That's the company, that's the people I communicate with. The people I talk to have their own yourself, Josephine, Dan Martin, you know, everybody is doing they have their their company and their influence. So it makes me you know, my point right now and what I hear Tony Robbins or Dan, the people that I listen to to stay motivated, um, you have to leverage your why or leverage your purpose. So you have to, in order to change, in order to act, uh, like you say, in order for me to really shift my focus and constantly stay on this path, I have to gain leverage on that situation. And it has to hurt bad enough for me to have to follow through on what I want. And if it doesn't hurt bad enough, then I won't have it. And exactly. And I'm going to tell you how to work. do it. I'm going to tell you how to do it. I'm going to tell you how to leverage it. But i got to tell you this little story again. You know, I'm from South Louisiana. We like stories. Okay. Come on. Keep it coming. These guys, two guys live, on, they live across the bayou from each other. Bayous. You know, everybody's got bayous down there. Up the bayou, down the bayou, whatever. Two older guys. Every morning, one guy walks over to the other guy's house. They're sitting there drinking coffee. He's got a dog <laughs> laying on the side. Old hound dog. And the dog just woo, goes on for like two or three days. You know, so the guy comes over one morning, sitting there, and the dog just sitting there, woo, sitting in the same spot, same spot. The dog just, woo, woo. so he finally asked him. He said, "Tipo, he said, what's the matter with your dog?" 
He said he's sitting on a nail. He said, well, why don't he get off? <laughs> he said, because it doesn't hurt him bad enough. Oh, man. You saw that one coming. Oh, man. Here's the thing. Yeah. If you know, and, and this, is the, this is what you have to know and you have to realize. If you want to make a million dollars, I'm just throwing a figure out there, or if you want to be a world champion or, or whatever is your end mm-hmm. goal in life. Or a great mother or a great, great mother, brother. Great mother. Whatever. Okay? You have to realize that, number one, it's not in your circle. It's not in your mm-hmm. comfort zone. You know why? Because you'd have found it already. It's yeah. not there. You have to realize wow. that you have to go outside of it. You have to go yeah. outside of your comfort zone in anything outside your circle of influence. That means, you know, since we were talking about competing, now we're talking about competing on the world stage versus in your club. Because if you yeah. want to be one exactly. of the best speakers, then guess what? They're not in your club. Yeah. Okay? So you have to yeah. get outside of that and you have to find you have to start finding like-minded people mm-hmm. that are just like you. What's going to happen? You're going to find that that's going to become a need instead of a want. Okay. And when it becomes a need instead of a want, you will satisfy. Plain yes. and simple, you will satisfy. Come on, Joel. Come right. on, you about to get me? You about to get me going? Please keep keep going, keep going, because that's it, it's it's a great thing because we people find every excuse not to. You know, it, 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 I, I'm just too comfortable or I'm not willing is what I heard the other day at Toastmasters. Somebody said either I'm not comfortable or I'm too comfortable or I'm not willing to change. It's one of those two things. And so even myself, one of my students, matter of fact, a couple months ago said that he wanted to run for office. I said, what office? And he was hesitant to say president. I said, now, look, you, you're 18 years old. You have 20 years before you can even run. You know, you're, there's nobody better suited to be the president than you right now. The best place would be for you to start is just to figure out, you know what you want to be, the president. Surround yourself by presidents. Pick up a biography of your favorite. You got it. And and just, so for people, and you brought that answer out, because I was like, man, how do you start, Joel? How do you start? And it's going to the absolute square minimum tip. Like, who does something that I already, that, that I enjoy watching, that I like doing? Who does that? And how did they get started? Just looking at Mm -hmm. what they do. Is, Is that something that you did? When it comes to what speaking, or when it speak well, so when you came out of when you were done being homeless, if, if that's what you say, I don't know if that would be the correct way to to term okay. that. You started your your insurance business. How long did you have that before you transitioned to full time speaking? Not long. Um, well, about about two years. I didn't I didn't take speaking seriously. I never uh-huh. I, I never I didn't I didn't really take that serious until. After that first loss that I told you about, when I when I decided okay. that I was I wanted to uh, to basically this is something I wanted to do because before it was all about me it was all about me mm. it wasn't about you it was about me it was about the trophy mm. you know and I realized that you know that that's not what life is all about it's not yeah so what I did was. One, uh, uh, she's she's no longer she when she relocated to Florida, but she became my mentor very early. Right after that, and you know she was already a DTM, she was already a professional mm. speaker. So I went from you know a, a small mindset to living in her world, um, so yeah. to speak. And I but see, I knew that's what I needed to live in mm-hmm. her world because her expectations were different than mine. Yeah. You know, my expectations were, you know, getting speaking engagement just so I can go talk to you. 
Which she <laughs> paid eight grand per gig. Woo! Woo! When she told me that, that's what that's I said. Woo! So, and so as you can see, that changed. And the more I hung yeah. around her, now here's the thing, I did it deliberately because we lived two and a half hours away. And I drove. Because mm-hmm. I wanted, I wanted to exp- I wanted her in my circle. I wanted to. You have to, you have, to have that presence, exactly. know, like, and trust, be around. Exactly, because as long as I was in my circle, getting my needs met, that's a nice to have. It is. Right. But when I got her circle, that became a need. Mm. And the only way that I was mm. going to get that, and this is what she told me, she said, "You have to start speaking. You have to get good at it." I said, "Done." Okay. Done. Yeah, and you are very good at it. But this is but this is what I did. I got a camera. I didn't have any furniture in my living room because I had moved there. I just moved. So my my living room was my stage. I had a video camera on this side. I had a video camera on that side. And on my wall, they're still there for sentimental reasons. I had pieces of paper that was, you know, they just taped up speaking notes, you know, don't pace, eye contact, you know, watch your body, things of that nature. And that's what I did. Because I became committed oh to be getting good. Why? Because I wanted an $8,000 check. Wow. That's why. You wanted it that bad. Yes. I'm, shoot, I'm, 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 inching, I'm inching myself for that. And one of the things that I like to do and what helped me try to say, like I, I like to say, try and stay ahead of the curve. So I started asking my dad about taxes when I was 17. And I talked to people about relationships. How do you stay married? I just want to ask the questions before I get faced with the, the situation myself. So that learning learning from you in that perspective goes a long way to, to helping me pick up those those things going mm-hmm. forward. In in Toastmasters, so I took I I knew I wanted to be a speaker and still didn't take it seriously. Not because I didn't want to, but I didn't know how to. So preparing for my club meetings, I had two weeks between each meeting, but I would take one week to prepare and really it'd be an outline and then softly put it together over the next four or five days. But as we got into competition, everyone, my, it started with 900 words and finished with like 700 words. And my first speech to my fourth, completely different speech. And then I worked like the summer, I probably completed at least 100 hours of training from past world championships. And I just, from, from Darren Hardy to Lance Miller to just so much stuff, I figured out how to write better. I figured out how to edit. I figured out so much stuff. And then when we got to the world championship, I didn't have to win to have the reward. Yes, yes. It was. I learned so much in that process. That, like now I can, I still, I take, I know how to take my time to write a speech, and I know that when I write a speech, it's not done. I know how to go back through and edit it, let it sit, come back to it, and do those things. What kind of work do you have to put in to do that full time? You are a full-time speaker, a place that I want to go to. This is what I want to do full-time. How did you get there? Do the same thing you did for the World Championship. Exact same thing. Mm. Mm. Love the process? Love the process. Get good at it. And start Mm -hmm. speaking. You you already, you know, do some speaking. Just just keep doing it. Keep because You know, it's one of these things where it's it's, it's not, you're you're selling yourself. It's not like you're selling a a tangible product. And yeah. It's weird to be a brand. Yes. Too. So the, the, that's, that's a different. So thing just keep just keep building your brand. Build a good brand. Okay. Build a good quality mm-hmm. brand. I promise you that's that's going to take you a long way. Building a good okay. uh, and I say that because I don't do any advertising. Mm. I don't do any advertising. I'm not a I'm not a wow. social media type guy. But the wow. one thing that I did, and and this is where your heads and shoulders above everybody else. 
you know how to speak, you're a good speaker. So when you get out in the community and start speaking, I made it a goal. I don't care who speaks. <laughs> By the time I get off that stage, they're going to know who I am. So okay. I always, I focus on wowing the audience, giving mm. them wow effect. Mm. Really give them something to take exactly. home in the box with them. Exactly. And wow. your speaking engagement is going to come right after that. And when I say right after that, I mean like right after you walk this, right off the stage. <laughs> Right after the stage, yeah. that's where the majority of my speaking engagement come. Right after I've spoken. Mm. And that's how simple it yep. is. That's how simple. That's how Bob Burke. I forgot who pointed me in this direction. It was around. It was matter of fact. It was at Toastmasters World Championship. There was Fred Robertson, who was from Jamaica, was there, and he pointed me in the direction of Bob Burke's book, uh, The Go Giver. And the book, the culmination of the book, is summed up with the, it was five strategies to stratospheric business success. And the overall, the overarching goal and value of the book was to add value. Yep. You, and you do that by adding yourself, by, by giving more than 50%. You know, it's not saying, okay, let's make sure, Joel, let's make sure that me and you split this just right down the middle. I'm going to do my part to give you more. Right. Um, and and I, want, I want you to feel every time that we interact, it, it's, it's a genuine, it's an authentic conversation. It's not anything extra than that, I just want to add value and receive value too because that's a part of it. You can't only give and not receive. So it's it's adding value. Is that is that a thing that you obviously that's a thing that you do in your business. Why why training salespeople how to pitch themselves? Why do it? Yeah. Why is that your niece? That, that's a good niece and I like Because it. that that came that came to me. This is one thing you can't do and this is where a lot of people fail in business just in general. Just in general, mm -hmm. when I first thought, okay, I am going to be a professional speaker. I am going to speak and train on nonverbal communication. I loved it, mm. but it's not. It's okay. not about what I love. Okay, yeah. it's, it's all about yeah. the demand. So I wasn't getting a lot of demand for it, but I was still just speaking, 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 speaking. Right. And then I met somebody who asked me to come to an event with him, which I did. He asked me to kind of help out with the, with you know something, and basically what it was just helping these guys write a five minute speech. They call right. it oh, they wow. call it a pitch. Okay, wow. now my where my sales background is like, well, this is not this is this is not how you sell somebody on something. Okay, mm. so when I helped them with that, the demand started to come. See, it's not about right. what I wanted to teach; it's about where the demand mm. was. Okay, yeah. so I wind up wind up wound up ended up. <laughs> doing sales training and pitch training because that's where the demand was for me personally okay. you know okay. so when I when I so what I the advice I would give you just start with a shotgun approach you're very good you can speak mm -hmm. on a lot of different things see who keeps calling you back okay okay see, what, 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 what type of you know what type of industry it's in you know what, oh, is it a mm -hmm. corporation or organization a specific day or whatever you know, yeah. do do some research on that. Who keeps calling me back? Right. Okay. Right. That's where you that's demand a, that's it. Mmm. Mmm. That's the. You picking like up that. what I'm putting yeah. down? There's a lot to pick up from what you put down, and I hope that you've got the time to look at the top takeaways, quotes, and side notes at TreyGamers.com/slash/podcast because there's so much to take away from here. You know, the perspectives of the world are just so vast and so long, and there's so many ways to find a reason to complain, but when you hear a story like Joel's, if you hear or see and feel and talk to the people that have been through something, including yourself, 
know, you're able to look at the world a little bit different and see it a little bit brighter because you've come a long way and so are the people around you. you know, so it's so important to surround yourself with only positive people and develop a mindset and cultivate the lifestyle that you deserve to live, that you're supposed to live. Hope you enjoyed this episode and come back next week and see what we have in store for you. This is The Dash.